Ask Me MD, medical school for the real world, with the MD, Dr. DJ Verrett. Greetings and welcome to another edition of Ask Me MD, medical school for the real world. I'm Dr. DJ Verrett, and today we get the pleasure of talking with Dr. Britt Barrett, currently a clinical professor at the University of Texas at Dallas, after spending a long career as a healthcare administrator. Britt's going to give us the inside story on how doctors can better interact with healthcare administrators. We'll talk to Britt right after this. Here's today's STEM tip. Don't throw out that old plastic bottle. Repurpose it by turning it into an awesome terrarium. Just fill it with sand, pebbles, soil, and your favorite plant. It'll grow sealed right in its own ecosystem. Learn more at She Can STEM. A message from the Ad Council. Welcome back to Ask Me MD, medical school for the real world. I'm Dr. DJ Verrett, and today I'm interviewing Dr. Britt Barrett, clinical professor at the University of Texas at Dallas with a long history in hospital administration before his professorship about hospital medicine and how physicians interact with hospitals. Britt, thanks for being on the show. I'm delighted, and thank you for the invitation. Can can you give us a little bit of your background and uh, where you come from? I've been in hospitals and healthcare for over 25 years, uh, 20 as a hospital president and CEO, most recently at Texas Health Presbyterian Hospital Dallas as the president and an executive vice president for Texas Health Resources. So um, prior to that, Medical City, I was the CEO. It's owned and operated by HCA and Medical City Children's Hospital. My entire career has been in uh, hospitals. And six years ago, um, I felt a calling. I had finished my PhD and from the University of Texas, the School of Economics and Public Policy. And uh, felt calling to prepare the next generation of healthcare leaders. So I came to UT Dallas, the Jindal School of Management. We started a healthcare management program. We've added a graduate program. We've created a center for healthcare leadership and management. We have a, a master's of healthcare science for physicians uh, that has, interestingly, has a two-year waiting list. And wow. uh, I got involved with it years ago as running hospitals. A, a good friend, John McCracken, Dr. McCracken, called me up and said, hey, can you come teach our doctors about strategy? <laughs> yeah, I'd love to. And so they have these cohort groups of about 60 physicians that sit around tables and they have every six weeks, they have a four day session and they bring experts from all over in, uh, to talk. And, and it's, it's a very participative and collaborative educational experience. And so I, it, for me, this education space has been just, uh, a, just a pleasure and an honor and a treat to be part of. With, with education in mind and all of your hospital administrator experience, what would you tell a physician about a hospital administrator that we wouldn't otherwise know that would help provide a framework for the administrator's thought process? There actually is a lot of good literature out there that speaks to the differences between hospital and healthcare executives and physicians. And uh, some will say, oh, Britt, that's too general. I'm not so sure. Uh, Here at the university, I can tell students that are going to go into marketing versus accounting. They're just wired different, and and they're they're attracted to move in a specific direction. Hospital presidents and healthcare executives, by and large, absolutely care about this profession. Uh, The finances, what they get paid, you would be... uh, a little discouraged. The pay is not not attractive. People don't get to hospital administration because of uh, economics. That's that's not a driver. 
I think in my experience has been, it's a, a pursuit of, of meaning and being part of something bigger. They like to solve problems and they like to work with people. That's, that's been the, the majority of my experience. And so understanding as you work with a healthcare executive that they, they want collaboration, they want cohesion, they want, they don't want to call people out. They don't want to uh, be punitive. They, they didn't go through an educational process where, you know, you're a tip of your toes every single day. They went through an educational process where uh, a group team has to solve, solve a problem together. Um, I, I pointed it out to some of my physician colleagues and their response is, well, that's what you do in medical school. You know, you solve a problem, you diagnose it. And I'll say, yeah, but, you know, uh, hospital presidents don't write orders, right? Hospital presidents don't be called, you know, you didn't call me, this is CEO Barrett. You know, it, you know there's a, 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 a professional sovereignty that's different that um, might be helpful as you navigate the relationship. I will say the great ones love great docs. There's some that you know, are just caustic and rude and you know, they're not the kind of healthcare executive you wanna work with, but by and large, there's a tremendous honor and respect uh, for the medical field and physicians and what they've been able to, what they're able to do. Um, those, so those are some, some thoughts that I'd have. And those are great, great insight actually. And in, in that difference in education, I think for me, when I, when I've been coming through working with hospital administrators in various capacities, that difference in education was actually key to finally understanding some of their thought process. It, it really is a different thought process than what physicians have. Yeah. When you're in, when you're navigating through your education, it, there's not a lot of education. You know, it's four years of undergraduate, two years of graduate, very few have doctorates. And you compare that to a physician who has a very rigid structured and, and overwhelming curriculum. Okay. In the hospital administration, a lot of what you look, what you do is what you've learned. So you see a lot of uh, healthcare administrators talking and collaborating and, and coordinating um, graduate work is all team-based, all group projects, all uh, that that require a recognition of the different specialties. But on rare occasions, will you see someone demand to be in charge? Um, I remember one time I was uh, interviewing for a job, and two two comments from two physicians. One of them says, "I want to be the captain of the ship. I'm tired of." being told what to do with Medicare and with electronic medical records. And, you know, the list goes on. And I said, hey, listen, um, I didn't create those restrictions. I, I'm not in charge of Medicare. I, you know, I didn't insist upon electronic health record. record. That, that, that wasn't my doing, but that's something we need to deal with. Well, I'm the captain of the ship, blah, blah, blah. So that was one dynamic. The other is um, one of them came to me in the interview process and he said, we just had an incident in the OR uh, this morning where a surgeon through uh, an instrument at a staff member. And it wasn't, it wasn't like, you know, it wasn't like Chuck Norris throwing it, but you know, he threw in that general uh, direction out of frustration because things weren't as they had, had to be and should be. And the, the, the panel said, well, what would you do about that? And I said, whoa, 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 whoa. I'm not an MD. These are your professional brothers and sisters. What did you do about it? What's your responsibility? And there's just a reluctance that I have seen to to hold one another accountable. And so sometimes the hospital president has to be that 
that principle. And, and that's, that's an exhaust. If you want to know what exhaust hospital executives and healthcare executives, always having to be the heavy, having to be the heavy hand to say, you know, your quality measures don't line up. We have done the analytics. And the response is, oh, that's garbage data, blah, blah, blah. No, it's not garbage data here. The comparative, I mean, are you with me on that, DJ? Oh, yes, just, yes. I, it, and it, I'm on it, MECs just, and, and oh. credentialing committees and, and board of directors for ACOs. And, oh, yes, I see it all the time. And it's exhausting. And you, and you would, I've been blessed that I've worked with some phenomenal physicians who I just, Anna Singh is one of those. Uh, um, Gary White's another. I mean, just phenomenal physicians that, are honorable and are willing to step up and be heard. Uh, if I was going to give advice to healthcare executives, I said, find those great doctors and, and work with them and, and cherish those relationships. And I, you know, they're the ones that help us move and execute change in healthcare. When I look at kind of broad physicians group, physician groups that may interact with hospital administrators, I would look at employed physicians versus independent practice physicians. And I think the interactions are a little bit different. Um, what is one piece of advice that you would give to each one of those groups about dealing with hospital administration? Well, independent physicians need to recognize and understand themselves. Why have they stayed independent? Why, what has been the driving force? From an economic perspective, it really makes no sense whatsoever in this day and age. I mean, a, a single practitioner, a, 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 a small group, a trio, economically, it is really tough to, to uh, experience the economies of scale. So I think you need to understand yourself and why you are where you are and then why you would even enter into those kind of relationships with an integrated delivery system, a healthcare system. And so you got to be willing to give up. There are things that you're going to have to get, give up to benefit from being part of a bigger whole. Autonomy, um, your ability to choose in some specific areas. That I think in, independents need to understand that. Now, those that are employed and are part of an integrated delivery system, uh, a recognition that it's all for one, one for all, that the, the lone wolf approach, this, this sense of individuality, it becomes very complicated in healthcare delivery. So if we have a patient that comes in and is seen by a primary care and needs an ortho consult, referring to the same orthopedic uh, physician allows us to aggregate information and make determinations on long-term care because we are moving. Make no mistake, we are moving into more integrated delivery systems. The, the, the days of the solo practitioner and the solo hospital are coming to an end. There's, and you, you've seen this in this pandemic. We've got to collaborate. We've got to coordinate. We have got to talk. And so um, the solo practitioner, you've seen some migrate to concierge medicine and, and some other models. Okay, there'll be, an, there'll be a, a small niche for that, but the majority will become part of integrated delivery systems. So understanding the organization, understanding the importance of collaboration, understanding what you're going to have to give up to be part of that bigger whole, I think that's the first step. In your, in your career, is there anything you would change 
with how you worked with your doctors? Something you may have learned later in your career that you would have changed early or just overall some way you may have changed? Yeah, um, that's really a good question. Um, I've thought a lot about that. And the question that I should have asked is, what do the physicians want? What do they value? What's important to them as it relates to running a hospital? Uh, too often I'm like, okay, I got to make sure all the nurses uh, clock in at eight o'clock. So I got to get a clock system and, and I got to make sure I aggregate information. So I got to give an electronic medical record. And, you know, I, oh, I got, so I'm very uh, business oriented. I, I didn't pause and ask, hey, docs, what's important to you? What do you value? What, what do you cherish in this relationship as you use our facilities? Uh, Carl Heisenbohm's an orthopedic surgeon who is a dear friend. He's now since retired. I think he lives in Palm Springs. Um, Carl told me, I just want great nurses. I just want, I just want an OR where great people function. And I thought, you know what? Then let me, let me focus on building the talent. And so we pursued magnet certification in nursing. Sheila Everly is the chief nursing officer at the time. And we, we had to let go a large number of very poor, of, let go of uh, marginal players and only accept exceptional players. We paid for education. We created ladders. We created shared councils. The docs wanted phenomenal talent around them. And what I wanted was loyalty to the organization to that there was be support and, and, and coordination that, 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 issues that were of quality nature that the physicians would embrace and they would recognize the importance of the reputation of the whole organization to the point where they're willing to, to engage in a very hard decision-making. Uh, Presbyterian Hospital Dallas, I think you may or may not recall, went through a horrible period when one of the physicians accused the medical staff of um, collusion. And the, the, it was eventually dismissed, um, but it, it pushed that medical staff to the, the edge because physicians give a lot and they're willing to commit to assess the quality of their colleagues. Uh, those that back away from that, uh, my example of the throwing the scalpel in the OR, well, there's a great podcast out there called Dr. Death. And oh, it talks yes. about the, ortho, the neurosurgeon and the DFW, where were the physicians? There are plenty of anesthesiologists and other neurosurgeons and surgeons that um, were aware of what was going on. But, you know, only a few stood up and said, not okay, not on my watch, not in this, in this community. And kudos to them. And some of them, I, respect, I've, I know them by name. I remember them coming and talking to me in the, the, the waiting rooms or the uh, doctor's dining rooms. And, as things were evolving. So um, I don't know, I kind of wandered on that one, but those are some of my thoughts. When, when you made the commitments um, to improving and, and getting the doctors what they want, in, in the example you gave, the, the excellent nursing staff, the magnet status, did you see that loyalty from the physicians as well? I did. I did. I remember when I first got there, the surgeon comes into my office and says, you got to be kidding me one pair of scrubs a day. I'm like, what are you talking about? He says, <laughs> I am authorized for one pair of scrubs a day. 
I said, That's, that, makes, that makes no sense to me whatsoever. So uh, I walked out of the, to the uh, OR and bumped into one of the housekeepers. And I said, what's the deal with the scrubs? I said, oh, yeah, yeah, we're very limited on those. So what are you talking about? So I went and talked to the director of environmental services. He goes, oh, we're losing so much money on lost scrubs that, you know, we have to restrict one set of scrubs per surgeon per day. And, and I've got this idea that we're going to have like a vending machine for scrubs. I'm like, do, do you know the scrubs cost me like, you know, a buck? And I have a surgeon whose economic activity could create tens of thousands, if not hundreds of thousands of dollars. And we're spinning on a, a pair of scrubs. And so um, I immediately eliminated that <laughs> restriction. And, but then, of course, I, I branded all my scrubs with the, the hospital name on it. So if you uh, stole them, you were a walking billboard for me. But nonetheless. But um, I share that story because sometimes we get very myopic in our day to day, when the physicians realized that I was all about quality and I, I, I was all about building a team around them, there was tremendous buy-in. And that's why we saw loyalty and engagement and participation. And it's almost like this, this, this uh, wave of, of collaboration. When I left Medical City, we were one of the top 20 most profitable hospitals in the United States. Forbes magazine did an analysis and based on number of parameters, we're the most profitable hospital in the United States. We were the best place to work multiple years. We had received the estate work from Malcolm Baldridge for quality. Uh, the physician uh, recruitment was going through the roof. We, we invested $300 million on the campus. The first thing we built on the campus actually was a childcare center. And then after that, a parking garage. And I told the staff, those are your two big, Pinch points, aren't they? Oh, yeah. Then we moved on to the critical care tower and the children's tower. So I guess the point of sharing all those stories is you, you need to understand what the, the, the medical staff needs, and then they respond. And uh, some, some of the great docs I got a chance to work with. I'm very grateful for that experience. And I think a lot of people miss that whole integration idea where it's not just about the bottom line, but if you take care of all of the other pinch points that people have, the bottom line will flow through without much of an issue. True. So true. And, and, and also, you know, I've watched great docs um, know how to say thank you and express appreciation, true appreciation. And sometimes it's as small as, you know, I get a box of donuts and I'm bringing them up to the floor to just say thank you. Or, you know, participation in scholarships for nurses that individuals want to go to nursing school. It's the small, seemingly insignificant stuff that builds a culture. And the great physicians get it. And then when they retire, there is not only um, sadness to see them retire, but great joy for the time that they've been together. And great organizations are able to do that. I think as we create integrated delivery systems, that will be demanded much more than it is right now. Right now, we're, we're pretty fragmented. But as we build these integrated delivery systems, the cherishing relationships and cherishing long-term uh, relationships will become very important. When you look at, I know you you are viewing the integration, but right now, especially in the DFW area, we have a lot of independent positions. Was there something that that seemed to be most difficult when dealing with the independent doctors? That's a tough question because my initial response is, when you deal with one physician, you deal with one physician. And then you say, well, 
there are some commonalities among the different specialties, right? We saw that in med school, right? I, I, I went to Wash U in St. Louis and, you know, when you went through the ortho, you could see, you know, that behavior in neuro, that behavior, pediatricians are, you know, you, there's, there's that element to it. Uh, every time you say that you're proven wrong. But um, one thing that I learned with working with doctors is extremely bright. Um, and I found great joy when they were respectful of my expertise as opposed to a suspicious, suspicious or, or untrusting. So I found it was imperative to build trust to understand where we come from. The relationship is with an independent practitioner is being created because of this. And it gets back to the original conversation. Don't look on the wall for the, you know, there's one organization there, 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 mission statement is above all else we're committed to care and the improvement of human life and recognition of this commitment we strive to provide high quality cost effective health care communities we serve how'd you like that that was pretty fast huh yeah that was very fast yeah well i could i you know a more succinct is you know profit maximization yeah it didn't sound heartfelt so it wasn't heartfelt. <laughs> and so understanding where people are coming from but independent physicians have been independent for a reason they like the autonomy and to make their own decisions when you become part of a bigger whole you, you have to compromise on that. And it, sometimes it's very disturbing. I don't think you need to compromise on the quality of care, but you have to compromise on how you do things in, a, in, a, in an integrated delivery system. And that'll be very difficult for the future. I think that's probably one of the biggest stumbling blocks is the loss of autonomy or perceived autonomy. You mentioned a, a lot of things which actually could apply to this next question, but I'd, I'd like to throw it out there anyway. What advice would you give a CEO about dealing with doctors? Uh, my advice to hospital uh, healthcare executives, CEOs, cherish the relationship. Um, recognize all the sacrifices that the physicians made to get to that point in time. Recognize, I think, I think the, the, the physicians, as we talk about hospitals and nurses and skilled nursing and assisted living, all the different elements and all the obligations and regulations. I think there's a wholesale assault on the medical profession. I think physicians are being demanded to change more so than they have ever been in the history of the delivery of healthcare. They matriculate through education. They're led to believe that their healthcare experience, professional experience is going to be X. And when they get there, it's not that way, especially for those that are mid-career where we're in the middle of a pandemic. And if you don't think healthcare is gonna change, you're wrong. I mean, how many didn't wanna do digital uh, telehealth and now they're required to? I mean, think about it. If you, if you get your energy from interacting with people and you love the curative process and, and all of a sudden you're on Zoom all day, <laughs> this, this is a very difficult time. And so as hospital CEOs, recognize that and embrace that, um, respect that. Um, I think also the, the, the uh, I was sitting in a meeting once and we were talking about putting together, you know, a project and the CFO says, you know how you herd cats? We're talking about all the disparate personalities and you know how you herd cats? And I said, well, how do you herd cats? He goes, you move the food bowl. You know, he, he was jovially saying, doctors are all about money. And I looked at him, I said, you're an idiot. <laughs> That's not true at all. 
Is there that? Yes, no question. But I, I, I think for the great doctors, healthcare funding, the money is not, is not the, the motivator. There are other things that you need to understand before you engage in a relationship with a physician. I think there's great value in exploring that. We're talking with Dr. Britt Barrett, clinical professor at the University of Texas at Dallas, about interactions between physicians and hospital administrators. We're going to take a quick break, and after the break, I'm going to ask Britt his top three pieces of advice. Hey, Kevin, thinking about saving for retirement? Yeah, but how do I start? It's easy with Avvo, a retirement coach. Let's learn the Avvo bet. For taking action. Not anxiety? No, Kevin, you're gonna be fine. You sick? Barely. V is for variety. Huh. Change up my strategy. Okay. O is for optimize your savings. Let Avo lead the way. Visit aceyourretirement.org today. A message from AARP and the Ad Council. Welcome back to Ask Me MD, medical school for the real world. I'm Dr. DJ Verrett. And as we do with most of the end of our segment with our interviewees, I'm going to ask Dr. Brett Barrett about his top three things he would tell a doctor but couldn't when you were on the job as a hospital administrator. I'm going to kind of put you on the spot there, Brett. (laughs) You know, my initial reaction is the first thing I tell them is shut up. And and very fair, very, very fair. I would even tell them that a lot of times. I would, I would admit there are days when you just kind of go, Oh, come on. Are you kidding me? Um, and then I'd take a big deep breath and I'll, and I'd say, um, help me understand where you're coming from. Help me understand where you're coming from. I, I think it's imperative in my counsel to, uh, physicians and healthcare, understand yourself and understand where the, the individual is coming from. Once you do that, it becomes illuminating. I, uh, as I mentioned previously, I worked with a healthcare system and the medical staff was in complete uproar. And the healthcare executives had really made some, some poor choices and decisions. And so I brought in some healthcare coaches for physicians. And what that did was it was an executive who could help facilitate a conversation between key physician leaders and administration. And I'll get, I got to tell you, DJ, it was invaluable. It was probably the best money I've ever spent on building rapport because you sometimes need to be coached through these relationships. These are all new things. Uh, people will say, well, I don't need, you know, coaching. I don't need, well, I'm not so sure. I think we are in turbulent times and the, the ground keeps on shifting. So things that we, assumed worked in the past, aren't going to work in the future, demanding that you're the captain of the ship. That's just not going to work anymore. The collaboration is too intense and too imperative. So um, understanding yourself, understanding where you're coming, where others are coming from, and then looking for support and assistance, a a coach, a a group of individuals, these podcasts. I, I can't help but think that if you're driving along listening to this podcast, some ideas are coming to mind going, yeah, need to think about that. And I would engage in a conversation with colleagues and friends and say, you know, this is where I'm coming from. This is what I'm thinking. What are your thoughts? Um, I like the idea of coaching. I had a friend, he, uh, he called the guy up, an executive, and he said, I want you to be my coach. And the guy said, um, I'm very expensive. 
and says, well, I need a, I need a coach to give me advice. Now the individual was the, the, the guy who was asking for the help was young and an entrepreneur. And the guy he was asking was affluent and successful. And he goes, okay, what's well, going to cost you 10 grand. And there's like this pause. And my friend, the entrepreneur said, uh, what can we do about that? He says, it's 10 grand. Every time you visit with me, you have to pay me 10 grand. And uh, he said, uh, okay, he valued it that much. So he would call him up and they would actually have a series of conversations for that 10 grand. The coach would take the 10 grand and he would donate it to a charity in the name of the individual. He needed, he didn't need the money, but he wanted to make sure that this entrepreneur was serious, that this was kind of, yeah, valued. It wasn't this casual, Hey, what do you think? He was, he was actually paying money to get counsel and advice. And so he was taking copious notes and he was returning and reporting. He laughs about it. Now he says, you know, after about the, you know, after what I was into is about 50 grand. He said, yeah, I, I can see you're serious. All that money has been donated to X, Y, and Z. And, you know, in the future, we'll, you know, we'll continue to have this relationship. It was, a, you know, you've got to value that counsel. So not only reach out to your friends, your colleagues, but um, commit resources, be, value that kind of input. That's in, interesting that's story, huh? story. Yeah, that is a very interesting story. Well, Brett, as always, I really appreciate the time. Um, lots, I, I would hope, as you mentioned, that people came away with a lot of good things to think about. I know I actually learned some some tidbits along the way today as well. Thanks again for coming. I'm, I'm, I'm grateful to be here, DJ, and thank you for your work on this. Uh, I think this podcast is an opportunity to open up the conversation. Now, here's an offer to those that listen. I'm at the University of Texas at Dallas, and and I welcome a call if you'd like to visit. I'm there is a demand and a need for great minds to start collaborating and coordinating. I know your, your uh, podcast is local, national, international. When we wrote this book, Patients Come Second, it, it's, it's gone. I mean, it's, as I mentioned, a new time, New York times bestseller. Uh, I'm being, I'm uh, given the opportunity to talk with people across the world. I've, you know, worked in Saudi Arabia, worked in Korea, I went to the Korean hospital association and spoke there. There are a lot of great people that embrace what you've described and the, the tenets of what you believe. We just need to make sure that our voices are heard and we collaborate and support one another. So I offer that. Uh, I'm at the Jindal School of Management, the Center of Healthcare Leadership Management at the University of Texas at Dallas. So I welcome a connection. Thanks again, Brett. You're listening to Ask Me MD, medical school for the real world. I'm Dr. DJ Verrett, and until next week, make it an awesome week. Thank you for joining us for another episode of Ask Me MD, Medical School for the Real World with Dr. DJ Verrett. If you have a question or an idea for a show, send us an email at questions at askmemdpodcast.com.